Hello, it's Bonnie back with you again this week while David's away. The Leader Podcast brings you news, interviews and analysis from the Evening Standards newsroom every day at 4pm. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining. If you like it, hit subscribe and if you have a moment, give us a rating too. From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm Bonnie Christian. How would London deal with another flare-up of coronavirus? This has been a disaster, right? Let's not mince our words. I mean, this has been an absolute nightmare for the country. The country's gone through a profound shock. As global coronavirus deaths pass the grim milestone of half a million, Prime Minister Boris Johnson says a, quote, whack-a-mole approach will help deal with local flare-ups in the UK. But what would this mean for the capital? And Lord West, who was security minister under Gordon Brown and one of the chiefs of staff, he was the he was the sea lord. And he said, well, you know, if I was putting together a list of people to be interviewed for that job, David Frost wouldn't have been very high on the list. So Mark Sedwill has been forced out from his role as civil service head and national security adviser. But the Evening Standard's Joe Murphy says Downing Street's decision to hand the key role in protecting national security to the Prime Minister's chief Brexit negotiator has some former top Mandarin's wife. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, how would London deal with a second spike of COVID-19? the crucial thing is is to make sure that we're ready to crack down on on local flare-ups and that's why you know 
we've got the whack-a-mole strategy. Prime Minister Boris Johnson told Times Radio the country is ready for local flare-ups of coronavirus, insisting the UK can bounce forward as he pushes for the economy to reopen. The city of Leicester could be the first to experience this new strategy, as a further 866 recorded cases means it potentially faces two more weeks of lockdown. But what would happen if there was another spike in the capital? Alex Thomas from the Institute of Government joins me now. Alex, if London sees a surge of COVID-19 cases, will we be looking at a citywide or borough-by-borough shutdown? It could mean a sort of blanket return to the sort of lockdown that we were all experiencing at the end of March and in April if it was really serious. But I think more likely is that the government will decide to apply a more partial lockdown and focus on uh, requiring uh, certain businesses not to uh, not to open, uh, uh, certain events not to happen. So almost a sort of a partial rollback of some of the changes that we've seen in the last few weeks and that we're expecting to see uh, to see next week. So I think it's more likely to be a partial thing than a kind of complete return to lockdown. But obviously that depends on the seriousness of the uh, of the disease progression and the situation. Can the government actually do it logistically, legally? How will lockdowns work? The government and the uh, local authorities are going to need to have to manage this because the moment you get um, into a borough by borough or a more kind of partial lockdowns, it gets incredibly complicated. Uh, I think there are three things really the government needs to make sure it's got in place in order to to manage all of these things. Uh, The first is that it's got the right kind of legal powers there at the moment and we're not sure yet that um, that the legal powers exist for either the national government or um, uh, uh, local authorities or the London mayor in order to enforce some of these, uh, uh, well in in, in order to, to, to have the powers to bring these lockdowns in. The other thing that they need is the data and the information. So they need to be able to assess where the disease is and what's going on and and, and use that to take decisions. Then the third thing, and I think this is the really, really, really difficult um, thing, is they need the enforcement powers and tools in order to make that happen. It's just not going to be plausible to have uh, the police and other authorities enforcing loads of incredibly you know, uh, complicated and specific uh, rules. It's going to have to be kind of uh, pragmatic and, and, and practical and it's going to have to have the consent of the people who are being asked to, uh, asked to restrict, uh, restrict themselves. One of, the, one of the things that's really unclear in all of this is uh, whether ministers should be taking that decision or whether it should be local leaders. I mean, we've heard uh, over the last few days that the, the mayor of Leicester and also obviously Sadiq Khan in, in, in London are complaining that they're not being let into these conversations um, uh, I- enough. And actually, they're the civic leaders who've been I- elected by, um, uh, by their people and, and they would say they should, they should be the people who, are, uh, who have the power to take these sorts of decisions. And at the start, the government was quite good at communicating what a lockdown meant and everyone knew what they had to do. Um, But now the boundaries around this seem a little bit more vague and we see that with people flouting the rules more and more. If there's another lockdown, would this just add to the confusion, especially if it was borough by borough? So I think what the government's likely to say is it wants people to kind of take personal responsibility and uh, understand the risk. Uh, I think they're, they're going to try as far as possible to um, uh, sort of avoid these very, very specific, very um, prescriptive 
uh, rules uh, and to try and people to kind of use use their common sense, particularly when you get to to uh, to kind of uh, local areas or borough by borough um, restrictions. Um, uh, but what they are going to need to do is to inform people and say actually the risk is particularly high in your area, and therefore unfortunately uh, we're going to have to ask you to stay at home, or we're not going to allow the pubs to open in. Uh, in, in in your area, and the other thing, of course, about London is everybody moves around all the time. The, uh, as as we all know, the the, the borough restrictions are, are um, you know, they're important for administrative reasons, but they don't affect people's everyday lives. Uh, uh, you know, as they as they go about their work and and social lives. So uh, it's it's going to be a real challenge to to enforce anything like a kind of um, uh, borough or, or or sort of sub regional approach. Next. This looks like not diversity, but a tightening of control by the circle around the Prime Minister. The PM is facing a storm over the resignation of the country's top civil servant. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The country's top civil servant and most powerful official in government, Sir Mark Sedwill, was forced out of both his roles at the weekend. The UK's chief Brexit negotiator, David Frost, will step in as national security adviser, a decision that worries some top former mandarins, while his spot at the heart of number 10 remains open. Our editorial column says Sir Mark may be gone, but we still need our civil service. Sir Mark Sedwell has always known he might have to take a bullet in the service of his country. As an intelligence officer and then our ambassador in Kabul, he has put his life on the line. He has also survived uncivil war at Westminster until now. Downing Street's charge, said with a straight face, is that government is run by amateurs. Their critique of the civil service, set out in a well-crafted speech by Michael Gove at the weekend, is that it lacks professionalism. Asking those in charge the constant question, could things be done better, is right. But there are two flaws in the critique. The first is that it is dismissive of the talent and commitment of those who work hard in our civil service. The second problem is the lack of self-awareness. It's no good berating Whitehall for its lack of radicalism. To read Mr Gove's whole speech carefully, you can see that his real critique is of political leadership in Britain, 
rather than a civil service that is unfocused, unserious and won't throw the dice. The Evening Standard's Joe Murphy joins me now. Joe, what's been the reaction to Mr Frost stepping into the role of National Security Advisor? Well, Bonnie, the reaction from... Uh, the people who are real experts in this field, has not been very positive. Gus O'Donnell, the former Cabinet Secretary, who is one of the most long-serving and revered holders of that position, um, has questioned it. And also Lord Ricketts, who has been a, a, a really big cheese at the Foreign Office in his time, but also he held the post of National Security Advisor. He said that... Uh, This looks like not diversity, but a tightening of control by the circle around the Prime Minister. And this morning I spoke to Lord West, who was Security Minister under Gordon Brown and one of the Chiefs of Staff. He was the the Sea Lord. Um, uh, And he said, well, you know, if I was putting together a list of people to be interviewed for that job, David Frost wouldn't have been very high on the list. What has Boris Johnson said about why the decision was made? I've been talking to Number 10 about that this morning, and they're stressing, well, actually, you know, not everybody who's held the NSA post has been a former spook or army person. Quite a few of them have had diplomatic experience predominantly. It's, It's a job that's only existed for 10 years, so it's not... It's not set in stone, as it were. Um, And they do point out that um, David Frost has had 25 years' experience as a diplomat, including as a a pretty junior, let's face it, ambassador to Denmark. Um, Before he went to uh, first the private sector, he was, incidentally, lobbyist for the Scotch Whiskey Association at one point, um, and then returned to the Foreign Office as an advisor to Boris Johnson, and subsequently our chief negotiator for Brexit. So they're saying he's he's well qualified in in its in his way. And finally, what's next for Sir Mark? Well, Bonnie, what's next for Mark Sedwell will be a seat in the House of Lords, and then he's going to look after Britain's interests for the G7 summit next year, which is quite an important one. Um, who comes after him is an interesting question. What they've said is it will be a present or a former permanent secretary of Whitehall. So that rules out James Dyson being drafted in or another captain of industry. Um, And there's a, I I hear two or three names in the frame, but none of them, incidentally, are household names. And that's The Leader. You can read more on those stories in the latest edition of The Evening Standard or at standard.co.uk. And we also have morning briefings available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from The Evening Standard. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss out.